Hello and welcome to The Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings and every episode, I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, it's our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. How the heck are you, E.C.? I am so good. One million, you know? One million. We have crossed. Uh, that's It is a very significant barrier for a podcast. We've got past one million downloads, one million plays, one million listens, whatever you want to use it as a metric. Um, so congratulations to you. Congratulations to it's you. no jokes. Really? Too. Only took you, three years? I think it's I think three years. Yeah. Um, let's like, see. Yeah. Our, I, have a, I have kind of a couple notes here. We went live June 3rd, 2020 with our first episode. Oh, now, yes. For our listeners, I'd like them to know that this podcast exists largely because of Patrick's continual <laughs> nudging. So I had been on a podcast for, um, you know, Ben Bergeron's Chasing Excellence. Yep. And so I'd seen them up in Boston. And I mentioned that I had this idea of like maybe the consistency project, but Patrick was definitely one that made this came to be. So if you like this, you all can thank Patrick. My fault. Um, it's my fault. But so yeah, we that started. Actually, um, funny enough, that's just, just a, that's exactly how Chasing Excellence started as well. I just, okay. I'm just annoying. And I'm like, I'll just show up. And like, you don't, have to, you just got to answer <laughs> my questions. And eventually after like three or four times, both you and Ben were like, all right, fine. Sure. Okay. And then here we are. Fine. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. So thank you to Patrick. But then, um, so the schedule, we started off, like, like I said, June of 2020. We kind of were a little sporadic. We finally got to um, once a week. <laughs> and yep. so now we've had about 117 public episodes as the time of this recording. And we just crossed over the uh, 1 million download when we're recording this or whatever. So I also want to just say, as we kick off here, thank you to everyone who's subscribed, listened, yeah. um, put it out on social media, who submitted topics and questions. I know I haven't gotten to them all. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing it on social media. Thank you for leaving ratings and reviews, talking to your friends and family. I know all that stuff sounds like it really doesn't do much, but it does help the podcast grow, helps bring people more to my products and services if they're interested, just having a, a bigger audience, a bigger reach, all helps us be able to continue to um, bring more weekly episodes. So please keep that up if you like this and, and thank you for being here so far. Awesome. And I will add, uh, if folks out there have ideas for episodes or questions, you can always reach yeah. out to EC, but you can also reach out to me. Find me on Instagram at PS Cummings. Just drop me a DM uh, and let me know what we can do in the future that would uh, that would satisfy your curiosities. And EC and I are, are always excited and interested in um, not changing things, but evolving things in the direction that people are finding value. So uh, in some way, shape or form, reach out to us. Let us know what we can do in the future to uh, continue uh, making you happy. All right. Yeah. So what we thought we would do to celebrate uh, a million downloads is uh, you you put together ten kind of takeaways from you know the last three years of doing this podcast, and so we're going to kind of break through break through each or break down each one of those ten takeaways, see where they go, have a little bit of fun. Um, my first question before we get into that is. Uh, well, I've got a little detailed questions about how you came up with the, the 10 takeaways, but I I'm really curious, uh, and maybe you'll answer some of this, but I'm really curious just for you, the process of putting the podcast together. Mm. I'm curious, like, what has that been like for you just in terms of your own thinking, in terms of your own development of understanding these ideas? Because you were doing a lot of this, these things before we ever did the podcast, but like the podcast mm. is really, 
in a in a kind of a nice way, but you can you can put the right word to it, but kind of forced you to look at things that maybe you hadn't done quite as deep a dive on, et cetera. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like just from your, just thinking about three years ago into now, how, how or in what ways has this process, this podcast kind of helped you or changed you or changed the way you think about these things? Mm. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it is self-serving. I mean, not just from a business perspective, but it does allow me to, you know, understand the research more on all of these specific topics. Um, because I do think that when you teach something is when you truly understand it, right? Which is yeah. pro- probably one of the reasons I like the teaching aspect of things because then I really am like, okay, now I get this, right? Now I understand mm-hmm. what's going on. And so that's what these episodes do. I mean, some of these episodes take me probably longer than I'd like to admit um, <laughs> to kind of get in, go down the rabbit hole and figure out, okay, why is this an issue and who's saying what and what's the half truth and all of that stuff. Yeah. But ultimately then I feel like I really understand it better. Um, so yeah, how they come to be, it, it ends up, typically some sort of accumulation of questions or issues that I sort of see collect enough. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh man, I haven't really talked about that. Like for example, right now we've had enough kind of come in about the autoimmune protocol diet. And then we've mm-hmm. also had enough questions about like hormone balancing. So those are kind of the episodes that I'm, I'm working on now. But sometimes the topics are big. I mean, I know I wanted to do a gut health episode for over a year before I really did it because it's like, how am I going to explain the complexity in this in in 20 minutes? So sometimes, too, just these topics, um, they require some time because, again, I I, I do my best to really get as much as I can within 20 minutes to make them very useful for people and then also be reflective of what I truly understand at the moment. Yeah. Got it. Okay, let's let's dive into these takeaways. Let's do uh, maybe just a little bit of background of how you put these 10 takeaways together maybe, uh, and, and what we can expect, uh, as we dive into each one. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, we're doing 10 takeaways. I thought maybe I should just talk about the 10 principles. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you right. what, where the relationship between those things were, right. but, but maybe you'll answer that. Yeah. Um, but really, I mean, as much as I love the principles and they're still my core kind of teaching and all of that stuff, I think these are just some of the things like the practical rea- realities of making nutrition work in our modern food environment and information overload in the media and just sort of summarizing some of the themes that way. So there was no real, I would say, structured research to this process. Honestly, I was like, oh, this would be an interesting episode. Let me start looking through past ones. And instead, these all just sort of jumped off the page at me. So they're not in order of importance. Perhaps if I were to do this in another year, I'd have 10 different ones, but I thought they were Mm -hmm. just some interesting themes that come up across the podcast. Now, I think we're also going to do kind of like a recap of some of the top 20 episodes, but I think those are going to be a little bit more episode specific where these are going to be more like thematic of implementing nutrition day to day. Cool. So we'll do, we'll do 10 more takeaways when we hit 2 million. Right. <laughs> See how different they are. So Yeah. So start putting your list together now. Okay. So again, we've got 10 of them. Let's get right into it. Takeaway number one, avoid diets developed by personal anecdote. Yeah. So I mentioned that I'm kind of working on this autoimmune protocol episode and it kind of reminded me of some of the other diets that we've either talked about like carnivore or even the popular diets that are out there like whole 30. It's it's true of a lot of these fad diets that like some people will do this sort of N of one experiment and they have success. And therefore that becomes their basis to then recommend that approach to other people. And it's just really, really hard when you do these N of one experiments to know what exactly is driving what. So this is why then we have to go to randomized controlled trials so that somebody else can be looking across lots of people and lots of different factors to figure out, okay, what really was driving the change? And is that what we can say, like that caused the change? Um, And so I find that with these kind of personal 
anecdote diets is they have this experience and then they try to kind of backfill with the science, be like, okay, this is why it worked. You know, like this thing worked for me. Now let me go to the science and show how it worked. Um, and instead, what I think we'd want to do is, is use the science um, to guide us in maybe a direction of a diet instead of the way that the direction that they're going. And I don't want to be like, I do everything perfectly, but I do like to remind people as an example that the 800 gram challenge wasn't this thing where I was doing this on my own diet and then said, everybody else should do this. The idea was triggered by looking at a study that was basically taking a collection of 95 different studies and observing what people already ate in real life and found that, oh, okay, when they eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables, there are these risk reductions. And so there was already proof that was like happening in a sustainable way for people versus me just sort of saying, oh, I think that's a good idea. Um, and so I just think that we want to be careful of when you hear people have these kind of transformational independent stories that become a diet, that's probably a red flag. It, it probably... Mm -hmm is not something that's going to have kind of a full sale application. Now, there might be some really great pieces about it, but the the specifics about it and if it truly will be therapeutic for other people, um, to me, this is just another big red flag when people are trying to make sense of all the noise out there of, of things to to avoid. Is Is part of that the sort of reliance on personal anecdotes and maybe personal anecdotes that backtracked into, here's what we say the science is pointing yeah. to, is that a is that a uh, a downstream effect of the internet and social media and mm. and the culture we're in, or has it always been the case that people were trying to make claims about diets about nutrition? We just didn't have we didn't maybe have the virality of it, you know, mm. thirty years ago. But it's always been the case that that people are claiming this thing because of well that it worked for me, so therefore it must work for you. Or is it uh, because of just where we are now in the world that we're more susceptible or that there's so there's so much more of it? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I There's probably, you know, social media is a factor in there, but I really think what's attractive about these things isn't necessarily the social media aspect of it so much as the story. You know, we've talked about mm -hmm. how marketing is a story and you got to tell the story and a, story, a hero's journey, right? I was in this terrible place and I overcame it. Conventional medicine didn't help me and now I found the way and now I'm much better. That's what's really compelling about these things is, and we see that in movies <laughs> and I think yep. social media helps spread it. Um, but I think that's really the attractive thing. And, you know, I want to be clear, I'm thrilled that these people found success and that they're healthier and all of that stuff. But we just have to be careful of like, okay, this is now going to work for everyone and put the expectation out there, especially when we're talking about something therapeutic, like this could, you know, fix your autoimmunity or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's just not, not really best practice. Interesting. Yeah. Cause so what's interesting about what kind of what I think about there is, you know, we've known for a long time or folks have known for a long time, right? All the way back to Aristotle, the power of story, the power of that hero's mm. journey to your point. And I wonder if part of it is just somebody at some point connected those two things that were otherwise disconnected, right? Filmmakers, storytellers, novelists have always used these tools to tell their stories. And then somebody woke up and said, well, I'm not those things, but I've but I, but I'm an entrepreneur, right? I'm a business person. I'm a whatever. And those tools, those tactics, those tricks, well, if I take them and bring them over here and suddenly, oh, that's interesting. I can get people to eat, you know, whatever, you know, uh, fill in the blank diet or fill in the blank foods. And if I get them to do that, then, well, I'm off to the races, right? Mm -hmm. So it may be less 
technology and more just the connection of the power of selling, the power of story and selling, and then simply marketing, yeah. bringing food, bringing nutrition into that. Totally. Yeah, it's just a good marketing tactic regardless of the technology. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so that feeds a little bit into takeaway two. I uh, didn't do that yeah. on purpose, but takeaway two is fear and new sells boring and old works. That should be on a t-shirt or a coffee mug. <laughs> but un let's unpack that one. I'm trying to sell boring and old. It's tough. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, a, a red flag I just mentioned was kind of like the hero's journey, the personal anecdote story. Another red flag is fear. So if if you are attracted to somebody who's selling fear, especially if it's already relatively commonplace, peanuts, if they're trying to make you afraid of like aflatoxins and peanuts or dairy is inflammatory or Diet Coke is terrible because of the artificial sweeteners, like just walk away, walk away. I mean, you know, they, they prey on this idea that the corporate giants and or the government is against you, but at the same time, they're running all the way to the bank with their money from their supplements that are being, you know, not even tested to any sort of level of regulation, right? And so we just want to be careful about, okay, is this person making me afraid? Like, I don't know something that's harming me. I would be very careful about kind of falling into whatever they they have to sell. The, to the people that I really look up to, there's nothing about fear in their kind of content. Um, and then also new. I think we have this natural, innate kind of attraction to new, which is great because it does help us to learn new things and evolve. But we do also, with nutrition, have to catch ourselves. Like, am I just attracted to this because it's new and it feels different? I, I think we keep looking for that magic bullet instead of just using the bullet that we have that will also still work. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think there's something, I think it's very, very unlikely. I'm very comfortable saying that within our lifetime, especially, there's very, very little chance of recommendations for, you know, general health and wellness and preventative health to change drastically, right? So kind of stop looking for it. It's the old tried and true stuff that works. It's getting that right number of calories, macros, and micros. And, and that's, that's about it. Super interesting. Okay. Takeaway number three, hormones, inflammatory markers, and other lab tests are interesting, but you want to know what happens to weight, health, and performance in the long term. This is probably one of my favorite takeaways too from, uh, from the yeah. podcast. So let's unpack that one. Yeah. And this is where so much information is in kind of social media mainstream, like what insulin is doing or not doing after a meal, whether or not the inflammatory markers go up or down after a cold plunge, right? Whether or not we have more or less muscle protein synthesis after a workout with a protein shake or not. All of those are a piece of the overall puzzle. I'm not saying that they're not important, but they are just a piece of the puzzle. They do not necessarily dictate the outcome that we want. So these short-term lab studies do not necessarily predict the longer-term outcomes that you want. Um, and I've just really kind of hammered with this recently, but I think what happens is we kind of overly fixate on like, well, this study shows that insulin is lower or higher after a meal. It's like, okay, that's not what you ultimately care about. You ultimately care about health, and we'd want to look more in the long term with something like maybe a fasting glucose or maybe even a fasting insulin. So if we want to know that this is going to help us in the long term, we have to check in with the long-term marker that we care about. Maybe that's actual muscle mass. Maybe that's actually our back squat. Maybe that's something like an HGA1C, which looks at blood glucose over the last three months. Those are going to be more helpful than this kind of immediacy, what happens now. And this is one of the best examples um, to use for this, um, 
exercise, everybody accepts that exercise is healthy and good. Yep. Exercise in the short term, after you finish exercise, it's an inflammatory process. You have caused inflammation, but nobody's saying don't do exercise because it's inflammatory. We know in the long term it's healthy. And so that's sort of the problem with some of these shorter term studies. It's like, oh gosh, it spiked your insulin or oh gosh, then, you know, inflammation went up or whatever's happening to whatever hormone. It's like, okay, that's not the whole picture. It's a piece of the puzzle. Let's think about the long-term marker that you care about. What is the, on a, you know, really broadly speaking, what's the benefit of the measuring in your mind, like the micro versus mm -hmm. measuring the macro, maybe be more specific. Like what's the, what's the value of measuring what I did today mm. versus what the month looks like, or maybe the week or what, like whatever the maybe slightly longer ish term uh, that we could measure, right? And I'm just thinking yeah. about, you know, whether it's uh, gram, you know, grams of fruit and vegetables today versus uh, grams of fruit and vegetables this week, steps today versus steps this week, uh, mm -hmm. hours, you know, average hours of sleep uh, this week versus this month. Like it's easy to measure, like we're, we've gotten really good at measuring today, but I'm just mm -hmm. curious in your mind, is it just because it's so easy that we do it versus where it's maybe more effective, which is like taking a slightly longer view? Mm. I think when the macro is not going well, then we can use the micro to figure out where and when went what wrong. So the mm -hmm. macro being weight, my weight is up. Oh, right. I didn't do the 800 gram challenge for the past three weeks. <laughs> right. And so sometimes the micro can help us understand what has happened in the macro. And so for that, it's useful. But we have to kind of remember that any of these individual measurements we do today might not be indicative of what happens in the macro. Got it. Takeaway number four, the answers we want come from weighing and measuring intake, but we don't want to weigh and measure intake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, should I eat full fat or low fat dairy? Am I getting enough magnesium? Should I eat more fiber? Should I decrease my carbs? How much sugar can I have? These are all very, very common nutrition questions. And all of the answers to those questions really come down to, okay, how many total calories are you eating? How many total grams of protein are you eating? Carbs, fat grams, and how much of each micronutrient are you eating, which we could measure in, let's say, milligrams, right? So we can measure each of these things every day, and we don't want to. And so this is part of the reason that we have confusion. And believe me, I think I've been fairly transparent that I don't love weighing and measuring. I understand it doesn't fit with our culture. It doesn't fit with modern life. I get it. But these nutrition goals that we have come down to needing a certain amount, a quantity of nutrients. <clears throat> and so if we keep thinking about foods as more or less or yes or no, we're never actually getting that quantity right. And so in my masterclass, we do kind of this quantity analysis for at least 10 days but I really think a month of where you're tracking everything is one of the best nutrition exercises or pieces of education that you can do because so many of these questions uh, get cleared up for you. You now actually have the mm. whole roadmap instead of just being told turn right or left. You actually know where you're going and you see the whole plan, right? Um, and I think until you do that, it's, it's really easy to kind of stay confused. And I do also just want to stress, I don't think you have to weigh and measure forever. I think kind of putting that piece together really will give you the grounding and the foundation that you then will understand how those future choices kind of fit together after doing that exercise. But again, the outcomes we want typically are because we haven't yet achieved quantitative endpoints. And so until we actually approach nutrition quantitatively measuring, we will be confused. 
What's the, what's the, and I, I know you do a whole masterclass on this and we could talk yeah. about it for hours, but what's the simplest, but of most effective or simplest and effective means by which somebody can weigh and measure for that month is like, mm. what's the, what's the, like, I know you can, you could go do the apps and you can do the whole, but is there a degree to which like, if you get 90% of the way there and by doing it 90%, you can do it this way and this way, simpler and easier and, and less of a, less cumbersome. Is there a version of that or is it, no, you're going to do it for a month and you're just going to have to suck it up uh, and just deal with the fact that it's going to be slight pain in the butt, but that's fine. That's the way it has to be. Is, it, is there any gray area in that mm. weighing and measuring process or is it just like commit to doing it for some period of time and just stop complaining? Um, I guess two potential scaling options. Um, one, you know, in my masterclass, we do go through a progression. So we kind of warm up to doing weighing and measuring all of the diet, which I think kind yep. of helps because it can be a bit overwhelming at first. So that could be an idea is like you look at parts of your diet before the whole thing. But the other idea would just be to just track total calories um, instead of worrying about the macronutrient breakdown. Now, uh, that has its own limitations, but I think for the point of this conversation, I think people will learn a lot just from that because that is where we start to dissociate the idea of fullness from how many calories we've eaten, which is a big, big disconnection that people have. And so just looking at calorie value of things can be huge, even though it might not lead to like optimal performance and, and body composition, that a lot of things can be learned just by looking at just calories. Got it. Okay. Take, take away number five, diet, exercise, sleep, and decrease life stress work regardless of age and sex. Yeah. Um, I think there's just all of this push out there to make nutrition protocols really specific, um, women only stuff, men only stuff, menopause only stuff, you know, older or younger, whatever the division is. And some of that's just because that's how marketing works. You know, marketing works better when you can really target specific individuals and speak to them like you understand their pain points. The truth is, though, the basics of diet and lifestyle work for everyone. Now, I always have to put a caveat in there. I'm sure there's some medical conditions where some things here don't perfectly apply. So let's just assume that I'm talking about otherwise healthy. You know, cutting calories works for everyone in terms of weight loss. Protein is good for everyone at a certain volume, right, to help maintain muscle mass. Exercise is good for everyone. Sleep is good for everyone. So these don't change based on age or sex. Now, you might find out with age that you don't get to eat what you could eat when you were 20, but cutting calories relative to your intake still works regardless of the age, right? You might find out that you've lost muscle mass with age, but a way to put it on is to eat enough protein and do resistance training. That's going to be true whether or not you're 20 or 50, right? So there might be some differences in application um, between women or men or what exactly the training looks like and how we might have to modify and stuff like that or food choices. But it comes back to some really basic diet and lifestyle practices day in and day out. Not that we need to be doing radically different things based on, you know, sex, age, et cetera. Is that, is the belief that it does, right? Okay. I'm 60 years old and, and I need, I need a special diet. I need to special exercises, whatever, or I'm a 22 year old woman. And so therefore I need X, Y, and Z mm. is do a lot of people, is that a barrier for a lot of people to getting to something effective? Is that belief, that story that, well, first I have to find the things specific to me. And which is interesting, as I say that, I think back to what we talked about before, which is kind of the story, which there are plenty of people out there saying, 
I have the solution for a very specific person. <laughs> you're a 22 yeah. year old woman. I got you. You're a 62 year old man. I got, you. I got the exact, right. It's, it's it, everybody's taught in marketing and branding and business is like, find the knit, the niche, yeah. right. And find figure out what the problem yeah. is that that niche has and offer them a solution. And so we're constantly being bombarded with the story that, okay, you're, you're a different kind of person than everybody else. And so therefore you need a different kind of solution. Yeah. I think there's some differences, you know, I do find it like, you know, where I am now, it would be harder for me to relate to somebody in their twenties just because of life experience. Right. Um, and so I get it in the standpoint of like, people like to be around people who are experiencing and kind of have a similar perspective, but I think from a nutrition point of view, I just like to remind people that the processes aren't different. So you might enjoy a coaching style that's more reflective of the types of exercise that you enjoy and the, the mentality about a diet approach at different points in your life, or even your goals might look different. And that's all fine. I don't mind that people want to be around people that kind of resonate with them more. But I think it's important to understand there's not a secret at 20 that changes for the secret at 50. (laughs) Mm. Right? And to try to sort of see that through line that maybe you're picking a female coach because you just like that interaction better. But that doesn't mean that a male coach doesn't have the secret of how to make, you know, how to help a woman lean out or something like that. Right? Okay, cool. Takeaway number six, feeling better is a relatively poor metric of anything except feelings. Hmm. Yeah. I don't like feelings. Um, feelings are. I know. People. I always, I always hate saying this because I, I feel like it's like, oh my gosh, she's like a robot or something. But of course, yeah. I want people to feel better. And there, of course, there's times when you have feelings and you should go see a doctor immediately. Of course, like please, like let's not take this to the extreme. But I do think there's a lot in the nutrition space. I do think there's a lot in the supplement space that people judge, you know, based on feelings how that protocol is going. But I think I would encourage people to, at the same time, also think about how quickly your mood can shift by hearing, you know, some cool song come on the radio you haven't heard in a while, or like, go eat a chocolate bar and feel better, or like, go the other way, right? Like, you get some bad news about your job, or like, how quickly your mood (laughs) shifts, right? So we just have to keep that in mind. So you might take a supplement, and it tastes good, and that's why you, quote, feel good. But then we forget about like, okay, am I actually checking in on that measurable long-term marker or something like that? So... You know, I think one of the problems is is a lot of this stuff that we do in change nutrition, we can't get that immediate response to know if it's working. And we kind of already talked about that in an earlier takeaway. But like, if you do want to see how a supplement is affecting performance, we can't just even look at today's performance, not just how you feel in it, not just how your back squat was today, but because there's so many other factors that come into performance, you're probably going to have to be consistent with that supplement for weeks and then judge the overall performance of all of those weeks relative to when you weren't taking it. Even that's still not a perfect experiment, but at least it's better, right? So mm-hmm. again, just really try to catch yourself of like, I feel better. Do you feel better because it was new? Or do you really have data to show that this is pushing you in a direction that you want it to go? Yeah. And in, in, embedded in that is to actually know the direction you want to go other than, I just want to feel better. I just want to, totally. I just want to like, yeah, <laughs> just have like, even if it's an imperfect metric, even if it's an imperfect destination, at least to have it so that you can measure yourself today versus yourself three months ago would be wildly exactly. more valuable. Totally. Yep. Cool. Love that. Um, Takeaway number seven, increasing muscle mass and decreasing body fat are best accomplished by training harder and being consistent with your diet for years. 
And we've made the joke before, but we have an episode. I think it's still probably the most popular. I think you, but it's basically we've joked like we should just rename the podcast "Build Muscle, Lose Fat," and we were just like simultaneously, we'd be be on hundred million (laughs) downloads, not one. And (laughs) totally, yeah. I mean, it's still a popular question. It's probably like you said, probably the most popular episode. All of that stuff. Um, I think for a lot of people, we would just do well with a lot of consistency. I mean, you know, got to get that word in here a couple times in this episode, right? (laughs) That's right. Um, But consistency in diet and consistency in training. And there are going to be some people out there who are like, I'm already very consistent, you know, training and I'm already lifting. And so I'm trying to increase my muscle mass. That's great. We have to remember that that's a long-term change, especially after the first year is when we see our biggest gains. But then after that, it is a long time of doing lots of resistance training to really put on significant muscle mass. And so that's any of these people that are these, these really big athletes, um, physically big athletes, they've been doing it for years and years and years, right? So there's that piece to it. We need years of training to really put on muscle mass. You probably can make, well, I know you can make faster changes in the leaning out side of things. And I think, again, we have people wanting to see the results so quickly, they jump down to this 1200 calories, they jump down to the 1600 calories, can't sustain, off we go, and we're just back on this off and on pattern. It's like, okay, well, what about if we just held steady at 2000? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we don't have these big swings on the weekends or whatever day we get frustrated. Instead, we just hold steady, hold steady for a few months, right? I think we're going to start seeing the the improvement we want. So not a quick fix here. But I think instead of worrying about kind of like a six-week get shredded program or a six-week masking program or whatever it is, just continue to train with consistency, keep the diet consistent. We're going to get to where we want to be in terms of physique. I can't think of a more frustrating answer to, <laughs> to a lot of these questions is, well, you just need to be more patient and more consistent. I get, it's just like, it's got to be uh, just like, I just, no, can it be something other than those two things? <laughs> but time and time and time again, it comes back down that and dose, <laughs> right? Yeah, that consistency. It, to, to consistency and patience. And and it stinks that it does, but it, but almost every conversation we have basically comes down to you're I, you're either inconsistent or you're impatient, and that's actually the problem here. An uh, individual in my master class, they've been consistent for some period of time. And I, you know, I think they'd like to see results more quickly. And thankfully they, they made the comment like, well, I have taken off a certain amount of weight that took me three years to put on. Now it's taken, you know, longer Mm. than two months, but it certainly has come off faster than three years. I'm like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) yes. And it's just really hard. You're living through the days. People are putting a lot of work in growing and measuring your food takes time. It's inconvenient. So I understand I'm very empathetic. People are putting in a lot of work. It just does not happen. Like the magazine covers suggest. Yeah. Damn those magazine covers. (laughs) You should, I I should stop reading them in the line at the grocery store. (laughs) Totally. Okay. Um, takeaway, I think we're on takeaway eight, uh, get clear on what you want because what you want comes with a trade-off. Oh, what a harsh truth this is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's actually also had just a recent client with this, but like the last five pounds when somebody who's already kind of within a healthy weight range will require a rather exacting approach to the diet. Like, is the log 100% accurate for all of your days? 
And if it's not, that's the problem. So the trade-off for the degree of leanness that this individual wants mm. is that they have to be really, really, really on it with the diet. And to be honest, it doesn't even have to be the last five pounds. Any weight change, even if you have more significant amount to weight to lose, requires a trade-off. It requires a change, basically, of your current habits because you want something different than what you currently have. So change requires change. And and if you're thinking, well, I want X, but I don't want to have to change anything, okay, you're not living in reality. (laughs) That's lip service to the idea that you want. And so I think when people get really clear on what they want, understand why they want it, then the trade-off probably doesn't feel like a trade-off as much, right? It's kind of as like, well, this is what I have to do, and so you're more resolute to do it. But I think when we sort of have lip service to an idea, then it's sort of as like all this work that's involved. Um, And so that's why I think like really considering why do you want this? Um, Why do you really want this weight change? Like what do you think is really going to change about your life? And maybe there are some very significant health or quality of life things that will change. And that's great. And I'm not trying to discourage that. But I do think sometimes, again, we're we're putting a lot of uh, happiness or expectations in maybe a weight outcome that might not really be realized. And it's something more kind of internal work that we have to do. So. Yeah, get clear on what you want. And I I think when you really are clear and when you really understand why you want to do it, the trade-off doesn't feel as much of a (laughs) trade-off. I think it's also just as important to, once you identify the change that you're trying to create, you have to, at the same time, identify the the trade-off. Not not accept that there will be trade-offs, but actually Mm -hmm. identify and accept that uh, that trade-off consciously and with as much enthusiasm and motivation as you identify, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Okay. If that's the case, what do you, what is also going to come as a result of that? You are going to, uh, spend more money at the grocery store, just as an example, Mm -hmm. right? That's not a, uh, I'm not going to think about that. I don't want to, I don't want to think about the trade-offs. I don't want like, I'm just going to focus on the, I'm just going to be positive. I'm going to think about what the change ahead of me. But I think so often the problem is, is we get hit with the, natural consequence of that aim of that of that direction and it surprises us and we forget that that was coming anyways we just didn't think about it and so yeah. the more conscious we can be of that's the I'm going to hit that wall and so mm-hmm. if I know that that wall is coming I can at least have a chance to avoid it but what happens so often is when we don't identify that's the wall that's the wall that's the wall we just close our eyes and run and hope and hope mm-hmm. is 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 a very difficult strategy to implement over the long long over term. The long yeah, long. totally. Yeah. No, I agree. That's great. That's good stuff. All right, next one. Takeaway number nine. We're almost there. What what to do is easy. <laughs> what to do is easy. Changing your habits is not. This, yeah. this episode is going to be uh, 10 hard truths from EC. Ten, it might be. 10 hard truths <laughs> from a million downloads. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of people probably already know enough about their diet and what to do. Um, and and what to do for a lot of these goals is quite easily conceptually. I mean, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. I talk about it every day on social media. I've given away, quote, the answer countless times. Already in this episode, you need the right amount of yeah. calories, macronutrient right. distribution, and micros. That's, that's the answer. And I'm not just talking about weight. That's what we also have to get in line for our health and performance goals as well. That's what we have to do. That's, that's the quote answer. And so those are the endpoints. Well, if we want to get to those endpoints, what do we have to do? We have to weigh and measure our diet is a great place to start. And if that's too much, we don't have to always just weigh and measure everything. Maybe we do something like the 800 gram challenge or lazy macros. Those aren't 
total guarantees, but it will certainly help get people towards those endpoints. So th- those are the answers, right? Those are kind of some of the answers. Um, something that gets us eating more whole unprocessed foods in the right quantity. Okay, that's the answer. I don't know that a lot of us need more information about that. What's missing is the habit change, and that's what's really hard. It's hard for a lot of reasons. Um, our modern food environment, um, our busy lives, our own biology in combination with the modern food environment and our busy lives. Um, but I think that's, and I hate using the word should, but in terms of like nutrition, like that's where we quote should be spending more time is not not focusing on like, okay, what exactly do I need to do and um, what's happening on a, on a biology basis and is this the most optimal diet, but instead thinking, okay, I know exercise is good. Why am I not making the gym pri- a priority? I know I need to eat fruits and vegetables. Why is eating fruits and vegetables every day hard for me? What can I do to control my environment to set those habits up for success? So that, that is where we need to be focusing more time on, not still looking kind of for the next answer. Because I think a lot of us know what the answer is. It's now focusing on changing the habits. Mm. And as you said, understanding why it's so hard <laughs> to do to settle back into the basics like what what is the what is the actual problem here right and it's yeah. probably not you know probably not well i just don't know what to do it's probably i don't know how to do the thing i know to do mm. Yeah, I don't want to do the thing that I know how to do. I'm not prioritizing the thing that I want to do. I'm not setting myself up for success for the thing that I say I want to do. Yeah, I think I think that's it. And I get it. Nutrition's a constant. Like there's never a time that we're done with nutrition because we have to keep eating. So I appreciate that it is more difficult than other tasks. It's multiple times a day. It's a constant in our life. So but that's that's just it. Like look at why we're not accomplishing it versus looking for another answer. Yeah. And our last takeaway from A Million Downloads, in the search for simplicity, you might have lost the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I really love simplicity. I, I, I love that I can make nutrition more clear for people, and I'm, I'm thrilled if that's the case, and I continue to want to do that for people. But I think there is a point in which it's too simple, and too simple would be, tell me the yes, no on this food, right? Like, can I eat? I don't know, steak. It's like, okay, too simple, too simple because every food can be part of a diet, a healthy diet, right? Mm -hmm. Or people will even want solutions and nutrition where they're like, just tell me what to eat. I get it. I get it. You don't want to have to think in all of that stuff, but that also is too simple. It just doesn't work with, with life. You're going to get tired of the three meals I suggest. You're not going to have the ingredients on hand, right? Um, life doesn't always work out that way. Maybe you're traveling. And so that, that store, that meal is just not around. And so sometimes I think um, if we just slow down a little bit and kind of understand some of the concepts and how they all fit together so that you can be empowered to kind of understand the nuance a little bit more versus yes or no and understand how to put the meals together in a way that makes all of those calories, macros, and uh, macros come together. That's really an, an-, that's an answer that you can use, right, for the long term versus just sort of these kind of black and white decisions that I think a lot of us get caught in. Mm. That's a good segue to my last uh, question, mm. which is just about we teased it at the top, but just where where do these 10 takeaways live in relation to your 10 principles, right? Because the, mm. and the thing that made me think of that is the 10 principles are kind of the, the like, here's, here's what's going on. Here's why it works when it does. So you have a better understanding 
And so that you don't need to ever ask the question of, can I, am I allowed to eat bacon? Is that a, right. is bacon okay? Right. right. Um, and so just out of curiosity, just as you were putting these 10 takeaways in the back of your mind, were you connecting them to principles? Mm-hmm. Are they some somehow separate from the 10 principles or how do they, what's the kind of the interplay between them? If there is any, maybe, maybe yeah. there's none. I'd probably have to think more about that. Um, I think the principles are like the foundational physiological and to a degree psychological truths we must accept to achieve weight, health, and fitness goals. It's like calories matter, guys. <laughs> Vitamins and minerals matter. Sustainability is a thing, right? Like they're very, they're very basic. To me, again, I think these are more of like life lessons related to achieving mm-hmm. those. Um, mm-hmm. More of like the practical realities of, okay, you see, I get it. Calories matter, but I don't want to. And it's like, okay, well, here we are. There's a trade-off, <laughs> right? Yep. Or like, yep. I get it that macros matter, but um, there's this guy over there and he's just telling me to focus on fat counting only. And it's like, okay, that's new. Okay, that's new. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think there's a relationship there, but I think these are a little bit more, I don't know. I like the word hard truths or life lessons related to implementation. Yep. Yeah. Love that. All right. I will echo what EC said at the top, which is that, One, thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for getting us to a million downloads. Uh, It is a big deal in the world of podcasting. So uh, we, we, EC and I, appreciate it very much. If you are not yet subscribed or following wherever you are listening or watching this particular episode, please do. That allows us and ensures we can continue going onwards to 2 million and beyond. And lastly, if you know some folks who uh, could benefit from this episode or this podcast, please send it to them. That's the fastest, easiest, and best way to help us continue uh, doing the show. So we appreciate it and thank you in advance. EC and I will be back next week for another episode of The Consistency Project. Thanks as always for tuning into the show. I'm sure at this point you've heard me talk about the 800 gram challenge and lazy macros. But if you're not really sure what they are or you want to get started on them with a little bit more guidance, I wanted to let you know that I have eBooks on both of these programs. And these eBooks are not just some nine or 10 page document that you flip through in a couple minutes. Instead, they are a comprehensive resource, not only for the why behind these methodologies, but also the how. So you're gonna get answers to questions like, does the glycemic index matter? Or why is protein good for health? As well as tips and strategies, like how do you make the day successful? And what do you do when you go out to a restaurant? What are some meal ideas? These eBooks have it all. So head on over to optimizemenutrition.com slash 800G for the 800 gram challenge or slash lazy macros for the lazy macros eBooks. The links are also in the show notes and you'll get a bundled discount for both. Again, it's optimizemenutrition.com slash 800G or slash lazy macros to get started. One final note, both the 800 gram challenge and lazy macros are registered trademarks. So if you're looking to run a challenge at your gym or with a specific group or a corporate wellness program, contact me through my website or at info at optimizemenutrition.com for your options.